it in and dip in there. Gradually, you will read the whole audiobook and have many new ideas about how you can use that dusty old packet in the kitchen cupboard. The detail people need to zero in on the section that is most relevant to them. Just concentrate on that and start trying out one idea. See if it works for you, then move on to the next thing. Once you have been hooked by the Epsom salt bug, you may want to learn some of the history. That can be found in the first chapter. After that, you may shift your attention to one of the other uses of Epsom salt and work your way through that. It always helps to try out the suggestions. Only when you feel the impact in and on yourself do you turn into a convert and make sure that Epsom salt is always in your cupboard and you are using it every day. Read on and enjoy! Chapter 1. The History of Epsom Salt Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a little village just to the south of London in England called Epsom. When I say a long time ago, I mean a long time ago. We are going back in our time machine to the beginning of the 1600s. 400 years ago, to a time just after the death of good Queen Bess, Elizabeth I, just after the failure of Guy Fox in his plan to blow up the Houses of Parliament, and about the time when swashbuckling Sir Walter Raleigh, explorer and colonizer of North America, bringer of tobacco to Britain, and leader of the expedition to El Dorado in South America, was executed. It was a turbulent time in history, but through it all, the little villages that spread out like plates on a tablecloth all around London went about their business and tried to stay out of the way of politics and warmongering. What they wanted was a quiet, prosperous life with their families in the countryside, and they went about finding ingenious ways of doing just that. In Pretty Little Epsom, there was a drought. And a local man, Henry Wicker by name, was searching for some water for his cattle. Noticing a small trickle of water filling a hoofprint in the meadows around the town, he dug down a little, hoping to find an underground freshwater spring. On his return, after digging, he discovered that indeed he had tapped into a small spring that bubbled up from the deep rocky caverns below the earth. Praising the Lord for this gift from nature, he brought his cows to the meadow and stood back to watch them drink. Imagine his surprise when they refused to take a gulp. Exploring the water a bit more, he tasted it for himself and discovered that far from being simple, pure water, it was full of minerals dissolved from the rock in the caverns below and then drawn up with the power of the spring. The taste was strong and brackish, so it was no wonder the cows had refused it. However, Henry had been around a bit and was aware of places like Bath, where the Romans had built baths for restoring their health using the hot, heavily mineralized spring waters in Somerset. He began to wonder if his little trickle of spa water would have the same properties and help people just as in Roman times. He tried them out on himself and discovered that he did indeed feel better after a short while. 
Excitedly, he began to bottle the water and sell it to the local people, and dreamed of a bustling town rivaling Bath, which was being refurbished in an early attempt to bring people in to sip its waters. Later, of course, Bath became very famous in the Georgian 18th century when the beautiful, elegant terraces, crescents, homes, and public buildings created by Beau Nash were built to grace the town and turned it into the most desirable resort for the wealthy and high-born society people. Little Epsom did not have such luck. The spring did not produce enough water for large public consumption, although there was a short period where visitors came from as far afield as Cornwall to take the waters. A triumph of good marketing on Epsom's part as the people from Cornwall actually bypassed Bath to travel all the way to the south of London town. By the end of the century, Epsom...